Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paso Paso Podcast. Wonderful to be back with you here in Taos and beyond. Uh, Paso Paso, as you may know, is Taos's early childhood network of care providers and those who seek to support families and young children in the Taos region. My name is Miles and always happy to be back here with you to share conversation, ideas, and also hear from our wonderful guests. I'm so thankful to have our guest today, someone we have not interviewed before, and I would love for you to uh, introduce yourself. Sure. Thank you for the invitation to um, participate in this conversation for the Taos community. Uh, I am Marilyn Gruyer Zimmerman, and I am a citizen of the Nakona and Dakota people uh, that reside on the Fort Peck Assiniboine Sioux Reservation that's in the very northeast corner of Montana. I'm also a, an uh, Anishinaabe descendant and a Nawa or Shoshone descendant. I currently serve as the Senior Director of Policy and Programs at the National Native Children's Trauma Center at the University of Montana. I'm the mother of four adult children, and most more important, I'm the grandmother of four teenage grandchildren. Congratulations on that. Thanks. They're fun. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, well, you sound like the perfect person to talk to for this topic, in addition to the fact that, as we mentioned before we started recording, um, I heard wonderful things about the presentation you gave recently here in Taos, um, related to Taos Pueblo, from the Paso Paso coordinator, Mona. So um, thank you so much to her for connecting us, and thanks for your willingness to talk with us today. Sure. Um, so... Um, everything you mentioned gives our listeners a little insight into the conversation they may hear today. Um, where do you think we should begin with kind of approaching this as a topic that um, some people may not be familiar with paying attention to or addressing, regardless of their background? Well, I think that... Uh, it- Wow, where to begin? I'll start with the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study in the late 90s with Dr. Folletti and Dr. Onda uh, that comes out of the CDC. Um, They are the ones that sort of brought to the attention of the general population, the general public, um, lawmakers and and, uh, administrators of systems in the United States about the impacts on well-being of adverse childhood experiences. And they had a scale that they rated from zero to 10. And if you experienced any of these in your childhood, then you got a, a, a one score, or two score if there's two. And it didn't matter if you experienced childhood, for example, childhood sexual abuse one time um, at a you know, family holiday, or you were the survivor of long-term childhood sexual sexual abuse. If you ever experienced sexual abuse as a child, you got an ACE score of one. What the ACEs study did not take a look at, oh, and it and it cor- was able to correlate the 10 leading causes of chronic disease and death in, in America. Um, and it was done on mostly white, middle-aged, and well-insured um, respondents or participants. And what, but what it did not look at as structural violence, racism, and exposure to uh, systems violence or lateral violence in particularly in populations of color or communities of color. So uh, when we have start to have that conversation, we begin to look at the history and take into account historical trauma and intergenerational trauma. And historical trauma we know is uh, became uh, a theory basically uh, 
uh, founded by or defined by Mar Maria Yellow, Dr. Maria Yellowhorse Braveheart, and other Native researchers since since her initial work have gone and uh, gone and did several studies, particularly on grief and loss in Indian Country and its impacts. So. Broken treaties, uh, remo removal from ancestral homelands, incarceration on reservations, boarding school in particular, the boarding school experience removing generations of children from their nurturing, loving, culturally vibrant uh, families and communities really did have an impact on uh, the well-being of the following generations as those sort of traumatic experiences where they expect in boarding school they experienced deprivations of food and warmth not just physical but emotion psychological warmth uh cultural genocide um physical abuse sexual abuse food insecurity all of that sort of thing has had an impact on our well-being as indigenous people in north america so that is sort of the really broad for sure beginning the foundations of the conversation um, for Indian country. Um, there are a lot of uh, refugees, uh, immigrant refugees in this country who are coming from countries that are experiencing civil war. Um, so they have their own history and their own trauma. But we're st we uh, focus on the impacts of the historical and intergenerational trauma of American Indian and Alaska Native children and their families and communities. Yeah, thank you for, for that um, thorough introduction to the topic. Um, and perhaps I should have uh, prefaced it even more with uh, for those listening. But as you can tell, yeah, this is a topic um, that's immensely important and something that is very close to our particular community. Um, and uh, some additional context for this for the listeners who are familiar with my voice in this series. I also work with Taos Alive. And through that, um, we received a grant. And part of that grant included um, a request to do presentations around the community on ACEs or adverse childhood experiences and um, the effects later in life. As I've been gun to do some of those presentations, I've learned a lot through the feedback I've received through the community and our experts here in the community who know far more about these topics than I do. And um, part of that was the importance of also addressing, as you just mentioned, uh, Marilyn, uh, historical trauma, generational trauma. Um, and I've heard also referred to in our state by someone um, at the State Department of Early Childhood and Care, uh, environmental trauma, which has its other, you know, coinciding relationship. Um, just to say that if we as a community are interested in reducing the negative experiences of young people in our community um, and that of their families, we can not only look at um, that early childhood experience of just that individual child, but the context through which um, and the lens that looks at their parents and their grandparents' experience and beyond, um, which honestly makes this topic um, not only uh, something that we need to discuss, but also not easy to solve or not easy to try to heal. I don't know how you approach that. Um, yes, I think I think the tribal community conversation really is uh, not is never about uh, in healing the individual, though that is where it often begins for a family. Is an individual um, begins to heal from their traumatic childhoods or their traumatic experiences that you know they may have experienced in, in adulthood also. Um, but I think that uh, tribes really have really embraced the historical trauma theory because we know that we are uh, wholesome 
loving, caring, nurturing, uh, brilliant, artistic, uh, vibrant communities, but we, our relatives still struggle with addiction and um, intimate partner violence and poor educational outcomes and poor health outcomes for us. And so we have looked, we really have embraced that historical trauma theory as sort of an explanatory factor of, uh, as my old uh, chief um, Red Star would say, uh, why we like that? Why do we behave like that? Why is this happening to us? Um, and so it it really is, uh, it really does uh, behove us to take a serious look at historical and intergenerational trauma. And then, of course, reminding ourselves that there was the uh, 50s and 60s uh, childhood Indian child scoop where child welfare agencies and states were removing Native children from their families and their communities, not because of any neglect or abuse, but rather just for circumstances like poverty or um, maybe they maybe they were going to into school with English as their second language, that sort of thing. Um, so it, it yeah, it's it's a bigger conversation than just the individual, um, and it's a. And also, it's like if you if a cell is healthy, I, I think of they um, if a cell is healthy, it tends to have health around the, around it, and so that's sort of the individual look of a at a at a system family system, and I guess what the difficulty is, we as university folk or even agency folk can't can't prescribe go get healed, you know, and here's how you heal. We have access to mental health service and behavioral health services and addiction services, and that can be very, very helpful. But it's a it's a much deeper conversation, a more complicated conversation. Um, and it really is about thinking about how do, how do we do this work? How do we, families can do it, you know, we can point them in directions of where they can find supports and help for sobriety, uh, for violence, for um, econo uh, economic education so that they can, you know, gain and maintain employment. But we are focusing at the trauma center on systems. So those systems that are meant to serve children and their families, whether it's a, whether it's a school system, a child welfare system, um, a juvenile justice system, a, um, I just think of any system or any program, really, early childhood um, that serves a child and their family. That's where we try to look and help those providers understand the impacts of trauma on well-being, the impacts of trauma on behavior in particular, because very often some of the coping strategies for survival that many of us learned in childhood uh, and that we take into and become bigger and more exaggerated in adulthood are the very things that often uh, really um, clash with those service agencies. So behaviors like um, disengaging, uh, if you're in a primary care setting and you have you have a chronic illness like diabetes, but you disengage from the services that are provided for you, and obviously it has some huge consequences in your physical health, or you're a school system and the family or the student disengages and they're in danger of either dropping out or not succeeding and moving on to the next um, grade level, um, those sorts of things. So we're trying to say we're the big the big piece of like the um i've got like three key messages of trauma the first is is that children adolescents and adults um have really creative brilliant 
ways of coping, but they can be personally costly. I always give the example of a, two teenage sisters who uh, came to the attention of a child protection team because they were truant from school. And when it was further investigated, they found that, this, that the girls were living in a household where there was a sexual predator. And uh, that, so their strategy for to keep themselves safe and keep, keep each other safe was to stay awake while their predator was awake and be protective of each other. And so that meant that sometimes they weren't able to get to bed till three o'clock in the morning. And when you're responsible for getting yourself off to school at 7.30 or eight o'clock and you don't get to sleep till three, obviously you miss half days and full days. So again, brilliant, creative, but personally costly. The 17-year-old was in danger of not graduating the 15-year-old was in danger of not being promoted. So that's a perfect example. Another key message of trauma is that it is preventable and treatable. We can heal from it. It's not a life sentence. What's happened to you doesn't define you, and we can heal. And the healing can doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be expensive. It really is sort of promoting those those uh, activities of well-being, whether that's taking a walk, doing meditation, participating in ceremony uh, for healing, having a belief system where you have uh, an, uh, a spiritual belief around healing, um, and also thinking about and promoting in early childhood and school educational and even juvenile justice settings, sort of positive childhood experiences. And that those help to build resilience, those help to build uh, the capacity for healing. And so that's another big piece of the conversation of, of, of trauma is it's preventable and it's treatable and it's not expensive. Um, and that's, I, I know there's three, but I can only think of two right now. <laughs> That's the work that we do with systems. And it's really understanding behaviors. So it's really not sanctioning uh, a student in high school because they blow out of the classroom. And think and and it's because they don't know it, the educator doesn't know it, but they've just been triggered by a sound, a smell, uh, proximity, the teacher got too close, the student got too close, all of those kinds of things. We learn what we learn some of the ways that we teach some of the ways that people are triggered, what triggers can be. And then we teach uh, to, so we don't do that. Right. Cause and then students trigger us or people, our family members trigger us and it, and the impact on how do we accommodate that kind of the, their behavior so that they can re stay in school so that they can stay in service, you know, so that they can uh, have the possibility of, um, following through and following up on their health care. A big question I always ask a lot of people in um, justice systems and primary care systems, is it really non-compliance or is it is it is their behavior based in trauma? They're not jerks. There's a reason that they're getting big and angry and wanting you to do something right now or they're disengaging. So it's that's a big piece of the conversation, a big piece of the trauma-informed uh, practices and approaches to serving people with trauma histories. Yeah, thank you for all of that. Um, given that the Paso Paso uh, as a network is a collection of people and, and agencies who seek to support families, and, and you already mentioned um, 
the occasions where families uh, will disengage or uh, you mentioned, I guess, diabetes as an example. Let's say that someone is receiving care or treatment or support and they may, they may slowly step away from that process. Um, is there any, and I don't know, I apologize if I, if I didn't gather it, but what might be a reason why someone may um, disengage from a process? I, I'm sure there's not a universal answer, but that might be helpful, you know, for those, well, for those listening. Okay, so for example, with a diabetic patient, uh, other another key, uh, uh, another impact of trauma on us is it impacts our memory. We don't remember really well, and so if a provider has given instructions to a diabetic patient about you know, how much insulin when blood sugars are such and such, or how to do foot care, or dietary restrictions, or what you can have. Um, it, it, uh, I used to work at Indian Health Service, and I had a provider come out of a patient, diabetic patient's room, uh, exam room, and said, I don't know how many times I've told her what to do. This is like the fifth visit, and she still doesn't know what, what is going on. We didn't know what we didn't know back then. But now I would say, I wonder if it's that kind of memory, uh, inability to remember details, um, isn't impacted by trauma. Coming into a medical facility is triggering, <laughs> period, for anybody, whether they've had medical trauma or not. Um, and being sitting in a room with a, with a physician or a provider and having maybe their behavior be one of you know, kind of shaking your finger, how come you're not remembering, you need to remember this. Um, that's uh, also triggering. And so just changing, changing how we view behavior as a provider, in order to accommodate that patient might be a huge reason why they stay in care. They're not being sanctioned like, oh, you've already missed three appointments, so, so you can't come back. Um, or they might not be, they might, instead of scolding or lecturing and you know being much more understanding and repeating yourself and telling them what a great job they are doing and all of that sort of thing can make a huge difference i know as someone who's just experienced a tremendous amount of healing since my childhood um i finally at 65 years old uh am at the place where i i can i can be responsible for my own health care i can go into a setting and say oh no i can't do that but i i can do this and oh, this is what i want and don't want because if sometimes when you people have a trauma histories that aren't addressed and you say well we're going to be patient driven right and you say to the patient what is it that you need they don't know right they need you to be a support to them until they can do that sort of have that sort of relationship with you and 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 you mentioned earlier as well that um, there's no universal um, way in which uh, people can heal. So it is a um, it's a, it's a personal journey, and it's one that takes effort and dedication, and maybe not hiding from what needs to be addressed. Right. I think in early childhood programs, one of the things that has been missing is the providers are really good about understanding some of the family dynamics and some of the challenges that the families face, whether it's economic or relationships or housing or whatever those kinds of uh, conversations have. But they may be forgetting that those those young moms and dads and, and those older grandmas and grandpas have a trauma history and that... Um, part of their self-protection is to be very suspicious of, you know, I, I hear early childhood people say, well, they drop the kids off and run out the door. 
Mm. And that's because that's because of their own trauma. I think that, you know, they, they are parenting from a trauma, a place of trauma and they're triggering their kids and their kids are getting triggered. And, you know, those parenting classes, for example, that say, well, you know, they have to have rituals and routines. So read them a story and put the bed by nine. Well, that is helpful if you've always done that and have a really healthy uh, way of parenting from the very beginning with lots of supports. But if you don't, you feel like a failure. So it's really taking into consideration the impact of trauma on parents and parenting in that, those early childhood settings and helping the parents um, recognize or acknowledge their own trauma so that they can begin to heal. Because we're walking around, you know, again, repeating myself, but not knowing what we don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for all of this. And um, uh, <laughs> I wish we had a lot more time, but I definitely appreciate what you've shared with us today and your expertise and, and wisdom. And um, as you just alluded to, uh, I think a takeaway message for me anyway, and I don't, I'm curious if you agree for the listeners would be that um, not only is it important to recognize the possible traumatic histories and experiences that people have and, and how it reflects in their uh, current behaviors um, without judgment, but also we all have our own experiences and it really would will take all of us acknowledging and, and facing those things in order to be able to get to the point even to um, respect that in other people. That is the third key principle message that I just remembered when you said that is all of us uh, remember our traumatic experiences and make meaning of them differently so we can never say to another human being, that happened to me and I got over it so you will too we have to respect and acknowledge their own understanding of the experience and meaning making for them. Well, Marilyn Zimmerman, thank you so much again. Really appreciate your time. And, and um, if people are interested in learning more or hearing more from you or, your, or the organizations you work with, um, how, where would you direct them? Go to our website. It is www.nnctc.org. It stands for National Native Children's Trauma Center. Org. Great. NNCTC.org. Correct. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. And um, thanks for all the work you're doing and sharing that with us today. And, and have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Paso, paso, compass. Paso, paso. <laughs> Podcast. Podcast. <laughs>